Good morning, church. I want to thank Royce, and I want to thank the band for leading us in worship. But above all, I want to thank Jesus for being here with us. Uh, he is alive, and he is with us right now. And he has intentions for us this morning. Some of you came in here, and you didn't realize that the creator of the universe has an agenda for your morning right now. If you would turn to your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. In some ways, this Sunday has been just a continuation of what we were talking about last Sunday. Did you notice that what we were hearing from the Lord last week was wake up? And this Sunday was just like more of wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. And there were actually other things we were supposed to do right now, but the Father is saying right now, wake up, church. This last Wednesday, we had prayer and fasting, and about 20 of us gathered to pray for the brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. We were praying for those who right now are actively being persecuted for their faith. And there's a lot going on in Afghanistan. But we were lifting up specifically our brothers and sisters. And I've been continually grieved for my own lack of zeal for Jesus this week. I think that fasting on Wednesday actually broke it on me. Because as we were praying, and my stomach was like, Wednesday night, my stomach was like, you know. And I was like, man, I'm, I'm like really hungry. I'm really hungry for some food. Like, I need some food. I'm hungry. I just heard the Father say, that's the kind of hunger I want you to have for me. And the truth is, I am fat on many things other than Jesus. I so easily satisfy myself with so many other lesser joys than Jesus. And the text today is a challenging one. Because we see what church is supposed to look like in Acts chapter 4. And so we're going to walk through this text as we finish our series on exiles.
Let me pray. Then we're going to go after the text. Holy Spirit, I ask that you will come and that you will wake up sleepy minds and sleepy hearts this morning and start with me. Jesus, we do not honor you as you deserve to be honored. We have not glorified you the way you are worthy of glory. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you will give us eyes to see Jesus. Holy Spirit, come. And wake your people. Wake your people. And all God's people said, Amen. We finish our series on exiles looking at the early church. This is in Acts chapter 4, and we're going to look at the, this basically most of this chapter of Acts chapter 4. Um, the outline of how we're going to walk through this is basically just walking through the chapter, but let me just show you. First, we're going to do a little bit of context just so you see what's happening, Acts chapter 1 to 3, and then four parts. Number one, arrested for proclaiming Jesus' resurrection. That's Peter and John in the first four verses of, verse, of chapter 4. Then Peter and John standing before the Sanhedrin, that's part two. Part three, the name of Jesus forbidden, verses 13 to 22. And then finally, praying for boldness as the church gathered together to pray for boldness. So let us look at the text. Okay, so just a little bit of context because everyone knows this. If you just open up the Bible and you just jump into the text and you don't know what's going on around that text, you're going to get in trouble in a hurry. Did y'all know that? So just, just a, little, a little tip, if you're doing kind of a, a, a Bible program where you're reading, make sure that you kind of back up and get a running start into what you're reading so that you have some sort of context of what's happening. But Luke, the book of Luke and the book of Acts are written as a two-volume work by the, the Dr. Luke. And he ends the book of Luke and he starts the book of Acts in the same place saying the same thing. And it is this, Jesus looking at his disciples and saying, wait until the promise of the Holy Spirit comes on you. Wait. Wait until my Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, God the Spirit, comes and indwells you. Wait until power comes on high. That's Acts chapter 1. He says, wait until power. He says, wait. Isn't that interesting? You would think it was like, go, share the good news, share the gospel, proclaim that I am alive and I'm here to forgive everyone's sin. You would think Jesus would be like, go, go, go. But Jesus knows something. You need something before you go. He says, wait. And then he says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Everybody say witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then he ascends to heaven. <laughs> it's so interesting. He says, wait. Don't do anything. Just wait. Then in Acts chapter 2, the church is in the upper room. They're praying together. 
and the fulfillment of Joel 2 happens. God, the Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, comes and indwells this entire church as they're praying together. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's Acts chapter 2, verse 4. It says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The entire church, all of them together, filled with the Holy Spirit. It's in Jerusalem. There's all these other um, devout Jews from different places around the kingdom. They come to Jerusalem because it's a feast day, Pentecost. And they're hearing all the church speak in all of their own languages. And they're like, what is this? And then Peter gets up and declares good news about Jesus. And the Bible says that 3,000 people were saved. Talk about a Billy Graham evangelistic crusade, right? The first one. Follow me. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Then Peter gets up, declares Jesus, 3,000 souls are saved. You see the, do you see the connection between those things? Filled with the Holy Spirit, declare Jesus, 3,000 are saved. I'm pressing this, and you're going to understand why I'm pressing that here in a second. Then Acts 2, 42 to 47, we see the church. What do they do once these 3,000 like, okay, well, what should we do? We should gather together in homes. We should read the word together. We should talk together, pray together, eat together. And they have these rhythms, these exile rhythms. They realize they're not at home, and so they're making this home together in community. They're eating together and being together and praying together and reading the word together and encouraging one another. And the Bible says, this is Acts 2, 46 and 47, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Then chapter 3, you have this rhythm going on day by day. People are being saved. Then chapter 3, Peter and John are going to the temple to pray. And they see a lame man begging. <laughs> and Peter looks at this guy. He says, I don't have any silver. I don't have any gold. I don't have any Bitcoin. Just making sure you're listening. But what I do... What I do have, Peter says. Now, isn't that interesting? What I do have, I don't have Bitcoin. But what I do have, I'm going to give it to you. Tell me, what does he give this man? Y'all can talk to me now. The man is healed. What? What I do have, here you go. And he says, in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. <laughs> I, I don't have any money, but what I do have, I give to you. He rises and walks. He says, in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And then what does Peter do? Everyone's like, whoa, this dude's been paralyzed, has been lame for 40 years. This isn't like I fell last week, and now I, I'm just having a little bit of problem. Forty years, the Bible tells us later. This isn't psychosomatic. It's not, it's not, a, it's not a word of faith situation where I'm, I'm hearing something, and, you know. 
This dude is legitimately healed. Peter said, what I do have, what, I, what is in my possession, I give to you. And everyone goes, what? What's this about? And then Peter gets, gets up and begins to preach again. <laughs> he declares the goodness of Jesus again. This is chapter 3, verse 12. He said, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? And why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life. He's talking about Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. And to this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And then he continues to proclaim. So he says, what I have, I give to you. The guy is healed. But then when he declares what this was, he goes, this isn't something about me. This is about Jesus who you killed and he was raised on the third day. So he's proclaiming Jesus. I'm gonna, I want to make this message as simple as possible. The filling of the Holy Spirit and is, in fact, not for the purpose of feeling good, but is, in fact, for the proclamation of good news. Listen, I love to encounter God. I love the Spirit of God. I, I love encountering. I've, I've had encounters with Jesus that were literally unbelievable. I thought, I cannot believe that the creator of the universe loves me this much. I can't believe it. And he delights in bringing peace and joy and filling us. But listen very carefully to me. The reason you and I have the Holy Spirit is for proclamation of good news. Primarily. Uh, does it have benefits of peace? Oh, yeah. Joy? Absolutely. Unity among the body? Yes. But we see in the text very clearly. Uh, that's why I'm pressing this point. D Jesus said, wait till the Holy Spirit, and then you're going to have some serious joy and peace. Is that what he said? No, he did not say that. He said, wait till the Spirit comes, then you're going to have power, and then when that power comes, you're going to be my witnesses. <laughs> and then they're filled at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, and then what does Peter do? Proclaim Jesus. There's a boldness in their witness, and it is only because of the Holy Spirit within them. That is the point of what I'm trying to put across today. So let's jump in the text. Now that you have that context, and we're going to move quickly through this. Now that you have the context, the frame for what's happening in this text, let's move through it. Acts chapter 4, here we go. Verse 1. So they just healed this lame man. They've just proclaimed to everybody. Chapter 4, verse 1. And as they, that is Peter and John, were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed. That phrase, greatly annoyed, means provoked to anger. They were greatly annoyed. This isn't like, oh my gosh, you're so annoying. No, it's like murderous anger. They were greatly annoyed. Why? Verse 2. Why were they greatly annoyed? Why were they provoked to anger? Because... 
They were teaching the people. Now that's interesting. They were angry because they were teaching the people. Well, Sadducees and, and these religious leaders, they were the teachers of Israel. They were the ones that were supposed to do the teaching. You see, Peter and John hadn't been to seminary. I don't know why you're teaching. I, I'm, I'm annoyed because you didn't, you didn't take Greek and Hebrew now, Peter. <laughs> you didn't take systematic theology. What, what are you doing? They were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and, so doing two things, they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They were annoyed, one, because they were teaching. Two, because they were proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Verse 3, And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men of the men came to about 5,000. Did you see that? We're up in the ante here, apparently, Peter. Now it's 5,000. Uh, this may be, it may be spurious, I'm not sure, but I saw a report that the, the church in Afghanistan, I saw a report that it like blossomed and ballooned in the numbers of believers just in the last week. Did y'all see that report? The believers themselves under this persecution are coming, more people are coming to faith in Christ. It's awesome. You say, well, wait, they don't, have a, they don't have a church growth strategy, Jamie. They don't have a children's ministry program. What? what? Five. And, and even if that is spurious, because I'm slightly suspicious of news in general. Even if that's spurious, the history of the church tells us that when the church is under persecution, it grows. So regardless of whether that's spurious, it is true in the history of the church. And where, where the church is not persecuted, the church is stagnant, a.k.a. North America. That's why I'm saying we need to wake up. That's why we have to spend so much time with church growth strategies, because we're not, we are free to worship, but we won't do it. But when you're not free to worship and it costs you something and you settle in your mind, yeah, Jesus is my Savior, and then you step out, the church grows. But when I'm free to worship and it costs me nothing except a little bit of time in the morning, well, I stayed up too late last night. I can't. If it feels heavy, it's because for the last seven days, I have felt like this. When the church is not free to worship, it grows because the cost has been counted and Jesus is glorious. And when the church is free to worship, oftentimes there is no cost to count. So I will show up at something and if something happens I don't like, I just walk away. We need to wake up. We need to wake up. Part two. Let's keep going. Verses 5 to 12. Peter and John before the Sanhedrin. I put a picture up here for all the visual people in the room. It's kind of hard to see. Actually, it's very hard to see. Um, it's a room off the temple area. 
if Dennis was up here, he'd give us some fact about how awesome this is, and I don't have any of those facts, but, you know, we'll, we'll catch you next time, Big D. Um, you, see, you see all those people sitting there, so this would be kind of like uh, going up in front of the Supreme Court. This is the highest court in the land, and you see that solitary figure standing there, so in this scenario, it would be Peter and John standing there. And they're, they're being surrounded by these religious leaders, these Supreme Court justices. And they are questioning them. Let's look at the text, verse 5. So that's the picture, verse 5. Oh, and by the way, they spent all night in prison. Now they show up at this thing, next day. Verse 5. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, that's right there, they inquired, this is so good, by what power or by what name did you do this? What are they referring to? What, what is this? Answer? Healing the lame man. By what power? Where in the world did you get the Marvel Cinematic Universe power to heal this lame man? By what power? What kind of Wolverine healing power do you have? By what power or by what name did you do this? Now, that's an interesting phrase. Not just power. Not just raw, abstract power. There's also, whose name are you? See, in this culture, name is all about authority. What, what they're saying is, by whose authority did you just say that and do that? <laughs> is it your healing gift? I mean, did you, did you go to a seminar? Did someone lay hands on you and now you have the healing gift? Like, how do you have this power? Verse 8, then Peter filled. Everybody say filled. Uh-oh, now we got a problem. <laughs> Uh-oh. Did everyone just see the text? This is why I love the Bible. The Bible is so good. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Wait, whoa, whoa, time out, Jamie, time out. I'm trying to get my chronology. I thought in Acts chapter 2, at Pentecost, Peter, assuming he was in the room, was filled. Is that right? Acts chapter 2, everyone's filled. That's what it said. Peter was there, then Peter comes out, preaches, 3,000 are saved. Here's the question. Does Peter get filled a second time? Answer? Yes. <laughs> then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, and by the way, grammatically, that's not descriptive of who he is, like, because he was filled in Acts chapter 2. No, that is an active, grammatically, that's active. Being filled right now, he then begins to speak. So just for all the grammaticians in the room, we want to argue that point. Filled with the Holy Spirit, he said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. 
This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. Somebody say no one. There's salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit for the purpose of declaring the gospel of Jesus. That's what the text shows. He wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit to have an encounter. He was filled with the Holy Spirit to declare Jesus, to proclaim Jesus. It's interesting. Jesus actually calls this out in Luke chapter 12. Remember what Jesus said? He says, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, and Peter's standing there while he says, I, I can just see it. You know the chosen has like shook the way I, the way I read the Bible in many ways. I can just see Jesus looking at Peter while he tells this story. When they bring you, Peter, you too, John. When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Now that's interesting, because we just see that played out. And apparently it looks like being filled with the Holy Spirit in speaking. We need to wake up. We need to wake up. Being filled with the Holy Spirit comes with supernatural stuff. Peter says, I don't have gold or silver, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. The, the filling of the Spirit, some, something supernatural is happening, and then that supernatural thing also is accompanied by proclaiming Jesus. We need to wake up. Some of us have never seen anything supernatural happen and have never proclaimed Jesus, and we say we're Christians. Let me say that again. Some of us have never seen anyone healed or prayed for anyone to experience anything supernatural and have never declared Jesus. But that is, in fact, the way the early church is functioning naturally. Now, you may say to me, well, that's Peter, Jamie. This is the rock, right? This is Peter. You can't... Oh... All throughout the rest of the New Testament, there is testimony and testimony and testimony of non-apostles healing people. Stephen, Philip. In the rest of the New Testament epistles, 1 Corinthians specifically, we don't, we don't have any evidence that there were any apostles in Corinth at the time, and yet they were having miracles of healing happening. There is an expectation that being filled with the Holy Spirit Something is going to happen. It's not like my power, but something is going to happen in this person's life, and then I'm going to proclaim Jesus. We need to wake up. Say, well, Jamie, I just haven't seen it. Well, it's interesting. There's, there's a debate in the cessationist and continuationist movement about whether the gifts have ceased or whether they have continued on. There's a debate, and one of the debates is, you know, we hear about healings and stuff, but we hear about it like over there. In other places where they like really need it I would argue the reason we hear about it over there is because the church over there is proclaiming Jesus And we just need to wake up If, if you're curious about that I commend to you a two-volume work by Craig Keener He's a New Testament scholar. He's written a two-volume work called miracles two volumes just the appendices themselves per volume are like 160 pages of appendices 
And the appendices are documented, verifiable doctor's records of healings. And it's small print. So if you're like, I don't think healing happens today, just, just go, go look at the two-volume work called Miracles by Craig Keener. And last thing I want to say about this, that we need to wake up. The gospel of Jesus is inclusive. Anyone can come to Jesus. Anyone can come to Jesus. doesn't matter how bad you are, you can come to Jesus and receive forgiveness. It doesn't matter what you've done, you can come to Jesus and receive forgiveness. The gospel of Jesus is free and inclusive to every single person, man, woman, child, adult, everybody. He's inclusive of everybody. It is also exclusively through Jesus. Anyone can come and be forgiven, but you must come through Jesus. And this is the sticking point here. Because when they're talking about the resurrection of the dead, they are saying, this Jesus who said, I am God, and I'm here to save the world, and he says, and by the way, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be crucified, and on the third day, I'm gonna raise from the dead. And they're like, let's just make sure that doesn't happen. So let's put the signet, let's put it on there, let's seal it, and he's raised. Like, don't let this get out. The exclusivity of Jesus. Have you settled that in your mind, friends? Peter said, there is no other name by which we must be saved. That means following Muhammad will not save you. Following Buddha will not save you. Doing all the right things will not save you. Coming to this church will not save you. Being a good parent will not save you. Being good at your job will not save you. Giving money to the poor will not save you. It is only placing your life in Jesus. There is no other way. Have you settled that in your mind? Because in our culture, it is increasingly inappropriate to say that there is no other way to God but Jesus. We need to wake up. We need to wake up. Now you say, okay, well, where did they get this boldness? Like, Jamie, I mean, this is really intense. You're standing in front of the Sanhedrin. You're proclaiming, I'm not like that. I can barely, like, talk at work. I can barely talk in my house. How do you get this boldness? How, how, how would I see healing like that? I, you're presenting something that seems impossible. Well, the next section tells us, verses 13 to 22. This is how Peter is in this state. Part three, the name of Jesus is forbidden. Verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, let me just ask a question. Has Peter always been bold in the text? So, no. Peter has not been bold in the text. Not throughout his story. In fact, Peter was so scared that a little servant girl at a fireplace, a little cookout, freaked him out. And he denied Jesus three times. Not once, not twice, three times. For a servant girl, she had no standing in that culture and he couldn't stand up to her. And now he's standing in front of Sanhedrin. 
Something has changed. No, listen, if you're thinking to yourself, there's no way I could be that bold, guess what? You're in good company. Peter would say the same thing at the fire. There's no way I could be that bold. I denied Jesus three times. Are y'all following me? This is not some stud Christian who just, I've been bold from the beginning. Mm. You ever been around those people? You're like, what is wrong with you? I kind of like it, but what's wrong with you? No, 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 no. This is the guy that's like, okay. Okay, you have no standing in society. Your testimony doesn't even count because you're a woman. But I'm going to deny Jesus three times. Let's see what the difference was. Because some of you are sitting there going, there's no way I could proclaim. There's no way I could be bold. You're in good company. Neither could Peter. Verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, that word means illiterate. Which in that culture probably means it's not that they couldn't read and write. It's probably that they just hadn't been trained in Torah. Like the seminarians, right? They were uneducated, common men. That word common is literally the word idiotes. Literally, that's idiotes. When they saw that they were illiterate, idiots. I'm just, I just didn't go to seminary, Jamie. I can't, I can't see somebody healed and proclaim Jesus. I feel like an idiot. Good news. I, but Jamie, I, I don't preach. Like, I don't get up in front of people and preach. Like, you can do that, but not me. I feel like a common, uneducated person. Good news. It still doesn't answer the question, how? <laughs> how is this illiterate idiotes who was scared of a slave girl, how did he become bold and stand in front of the Supreme Court? How? It's in the text. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated idiotes, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. You spend time with Jesus, you will see people healed. I'm not talking about a quiet time. I'm talking about practicing the presence of Jesus. I'm not talking about a 15-minute prayer that you got off the internet. I'm talking about relational connection with Jesus, talking to Jesus, listening to Jesus. You spend some time with Jesus, you will see people healed. I guarantee it. You spend some time with Jesus, you will increasingly become bold. Because all of a sudden, it's not just you standing in front of the Supreme Court. It is, in fact, the creator of the universe who has triumphed over sin, death, and is restoring all of creation stands with you and will heal and speak to those in front of you. I'm actually not that great of a preacher. I just know how to rely on Jesus when I preach. The reason you hear, the reason you are hearing things and you're going, wow, 
I'm not that smart. That's Jesus speaking to you because I have learned the practice of being with Jesus. In the morning, the most valuable thing I do is to wait on the Lord and listen to the Lord. And then when I step and speak, people are like, wow, God is speaking. Yes! Because I've understood how to be with Jesus. I practice the presence of Jesus. I love him. I walk every day with him. I listen to him. When I read the word, I'm like, show me who you are. When I pray, I speak, and most of the time, I'm just listening to him. And I'm not even all that bold. Can you imagine if all of us were going after Jesus and saying, you know what? The priority is being with Jesus. That's my priority. You would see people healed. You would see people set free. You would see people saved. We need to wake up. You cultivate intimacy and friendship with Jesus, you will see supernatural. You will be bold. I mean, he says it here. (laughs) They recognized that they had been with Jesus, verse 14, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. I mean, the dude is there, healed. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name, the name of Jesus. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, you know, you're right. That's what we're going to do. You know what? That's right. We're going to obey the governing authorities on this one. That's what, that's what Romans tells us. Nope, that's not what he said. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard seen and heard you see when you're giving testimony about something you have not seen and you have not heard you will not be bold and you will not declare it this is why it's so important that we practice the presence of Jesus if I pray a prayer and that means I'm going to heaven when I die everything's good and then I live a life without Jesus Sands Jesus, where I neither see or hear him at all, then I will not proclaim him because I have not seen or heard him. I have not cultivated a life of seeing him and hearing him. Are y'all hearing me this morning? That's why witnessing is so difficult when you are neither seeing him or hearing from him in the word. Peter, Peter said... They saw that they had been with Jesus, and then Peter says, I have to say about what I've seen and what I've heard. So for us, MCC, as a family, we must practice the presence of God. We must see Jesus in the text, hear him speaking to us, and we will speak with boldness because we have cultivated intimacy with Jesus, just like Peter and John. We need to wake up. You need to ask yourself the question, would someone look at my life and say, that person has been with Jesus? 
That, that person cultivates the presence of Jesus in their life. Their boldness is not because they're an arrogant personality and they're just loud, but their boldness is because of Jesus in their life. Is that how people describe you? We need to wake up. Finally, you may say, well, Jamie, it's still Peter and John. I mean, these are the big 12. Come on now, Jamie. I mean, you know, these, these are the big studs, man. Just little old me. Well, it doesn't just stop with Peter and John. Last part four. They pray for boldness. Verse 23 to 31. When they were released, this is Peter and John, they went to their friends. When you're living in exile, your best friends are followers of Jesus. I didn't say your only friends are followers of Jesus. We're to be in the world, but not of it. But the friends you go to first after a Supreme Court combo is believers. It's the community of faith. Where do you, where do you go first when you're hurting? That's a different sermon. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, now it's all the believers in this room here. When they, the community, not, so this is at least maybe some of the big 12 apostles, but then others as well. When they, the community, heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, their first thing is to pray. It's not to write the congressman. This thing happened to me. It's not to get on Twitter. I've been persecuted for Jesus. Their first thing is to go to the community and pray. And they say, Sovereign Lord. That means boss, master. Sovereign Lord. And then they pray scripture. <laughs> they quote Psalm 2. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and they just quote straight scripture. If you're stuck in prayer time, just start quoting scripture. Just, just pray scripture back to the Lord. They said, this is Psalm 2. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. They just said, they, they're declaring the sovereignty of God in such a way that they just said to God, God, Pilate, Herod, the Gentiles, all these Jews, they killed Jesus but they are defining it as they did whatever your hand, God, and your plan had predestined to take place. They're acknowledging the sovereign power of God over even the death and resurrection of Jesus. Did you know that Jesus died not because and in reaction to our sin? Did you know that? It wasn't like we were so jacked up. It was like, oh man, well, we got to figure out another plan here. Jesus, how about you want to? Okay, then he comes down. 
Did you know that from before time began, before there was time or matter or space or you or anyone, the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had a plan to restore creation before it was created. God created knowing there would be a fall and knowing he would die for the sin of creation. Isn't that crazy? Why would you create something you know will rebel against you? The Bible says, for God so loved. The triune God is a God of love that before creation, there was already unanimity. This is what's going to happen, and Jesus, you're going to go submit yourself and die for everyone in their place. And that if they come to you by grace through faith, you will receive and restore them to the Father. Okay, that's another sermon as well. Verse 29. Here's, so they've, they've, they've said their praise. Verse 29, here's the request. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. Notice these threats. Set your eyes on what these people are doing. They're threatening us. Look upon their threats and then kill those dudes. Is that what they said? Wipe them out. No, it says, look upon their threats and grant to your servants, that's us, to continue to speak your word with all boldness. <laughs> They're persecuting us. Jesus, make us more bold. But, but they're, they're killing Afghanistan Christians. Jesus, make them more bold. May the kingdom run faster. May more Taliban come to faith. May, may you increase kingdom gospel witness. May grace increase. Not save us from this thing. No. Grant that we will be more bold. We need to wake up. You're, we're upset about cancel culture like somebody laughed at our post about Jesus. And these guys, at threat of death, are like, look at what they're doing. Give us more boldness. More boldness. More boldness. Verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And that filling of the Holy Spirit resulted in what? They continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I'm going to invite the band up. And I'm just, I'm just personally confessing I do not have this boldness that Peter and John had. I also don't have the boldness that Afghan brothers and sisters have. And I have a suspicion I'm not the only one in the room. So we're going to enter into a time of prayer. And we are praying for boldness. And we are asking the Holy Spirit to fill us again, not just for us, but for the proclamation of the glory of Jesus.
And it is my belief that the Father will answer that request. And then we will all have opportunity this week to speak boldly. If you ask, Holy Spirit, fill me, and it's not accompanied by, and I will speak boldly about the glorious Jesus any chance that you point in my direction, then we're missing what being filled with the Holy Spirit means. And there may be some, you're like, Jamie, I am not there. <laughs> like, I love that you're passionate about it. I'm glad that you confess that, but I'm not there. I'm not interested in it. That's fine. I would encourage you to just ask the Father if that's the perspective that you should have or not, and then to give you revelation on it. I'm not forcing anybody to do anything. I'm just asking the Spirit of the living God to come and to fill us and to shake this literal room and this entire village of Marymount and the entire city of Cincinnati. Jamie, that sounds radical. Three millennia in of gazing at the face of Jesus in all eternity, we will not be thinking, that seems really radical to be bold about the glory of Jesus? We need to wake up. And, I, and when I say that, I'm talking, I'm talking to me. I, I need to wake up. Our pastors, we all need to wake up. Like, oh, we gotta get this thing, we gotta get this meeting plan, we gotta do. He's not calling us for meetings, he's calling us for boldness in declaring Jesus. To worship him and to honor him and to see him in all of his glory and then to declare that good news to everyone. So let's pray. Enough Jamie talk. Let's pray. I invite you to either stand or sit or kneel, however you feel led right now. We're going to enter into a time of prayer and then singing together. Father, we have come for all kinds of reasons. And we acknowledge mixed motives. I, I acknowledge mixed motives in my own heart right now. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would inject me and us with hunger for Jesus and with zealous, passionate delight in the glory of the gospel of Jesus the Christ. And Father, we acknowledge to you that we are free to gather and worship here, and we thank you for America. We thank you for this freedom. But I ask that you will wake us up to have an exilic hunger for Jesus, to have a persecuted church sense of urgency about the glory of Jesus. I ask that you will wake us up from this satanic lullaby lulling us into American Christianity. We don't want the American kind. We want the Jesus kind of Christianity. So we give you these moments as we pray to you. I invite you to pray however you feel led, out loud, silently. Just take a few moments of prayer. Let's pray.
that the Holy Spirit would come. Let's pray. you to stand right now stay in that posture of prayer we're going to sing one final song the song is entitled build my life make this a prayer there are prayer teams available if you want to receive personal prayer On both sides you can come and receive prayer but i encourage you as we sing that this will be your prayer that we would build our lives and our families and our jobs and this church, that this church specifically would be built on the glory of Jesus, that our lives would be dedicated to his name and to his fame and to his gospel, and that the Holy Spirit would indeed come and fill us, and that there would be boldness to declare good news. So we tell you that you are worthy, Jesus. You are the glorious one. And for when we can't see it, Holy Spirit, open our eyes. And Holy Spirit, come. Give us hearts that are turned towards the Son, Jesus. Warm, cold hearts and minds now. And give us zeal for his name. And help us to build our lives on him. And all God's people said, amen. He is worthy of every song that's sing. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. And we lift your name, Jesus, the name above. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever sing. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you.
tell you that you are worthy. You are worthy of our lives. You are worthy of our attention. You are worthy of our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You are worthy of our 24-7. You are the glorious one. We honor you. We praise you. We tell you that you are the one. There is no God like you, Jesus. That by your blood, you have ransomed people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And for all of eternity, every knee will bow to you, Jesus. Every tongue will confess that you are the Lord, you are the boss, you are the master, you are the creator, you are the redeemer, you are the sustainer. By your word, you sustain oxygen on this planet right now. We honor you, Jesus. And we tell you that we are yours. And this church is yours. And we will follow you, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. And amen. Let's honor Jesus. Let's honor Jesus this week. Be at peace. You are dismissed. Be at peace.